Hello and welcome to Exploring Global Problems, a podcast where we talk to academics from Swansea University whose groundbreaking research is tackling global challenges, from health innovation to sustainable futures and the environment, from digital technologies to clean energy. My name is Sam Blacksland and today I'm joined by Siraj Sheikh, Professor in System Security here at Swansea. Siraj's research brings together the fields of cybersecurity, systems engineering and computer science to focus specifically on system security for automotive and transport systems. He's the co-founder and chief scientist for CyberOwl, which involves security monitoring for the maritime sector. Siraj, welcome to Exploring Global Problems. Well, thank you for having me. It's good to see you. Can I start off by just getting you to give us an overview of what your research is about? So my focus is on what we call cyber-physical systems. These are systems that have some digital component in terms of its control or communication and some physical manifestation. So it could be a um, smart camera, smart home camera, or it could be an autonomous vehicle, or it could be um, any other um, consumer device uh, that is has some digital interface and so on. So we look at the security and resilience of such systems uh, in terms of their ability to make uh, to 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 function effectively and securely. Uh, but also we work very closely with industry as well to look at assurance of such systems, which is essentially looking at methods to make sure that these systems work. Um, according to compliance needs, according to, um, you know, uh, functional and non-functional needs. So going back to basics here, to the fundamentals, when we talk about system security, what exactly do we mean? So the popular notion, of course, is cybersecurity. A lot of that is around uh, protection of data um, and digital systems. Uh, the systems element brings together that cyber-physical systems, so essentially a lot of um, um, engineered systems, but also factors in um, the human interaction, um, the supply chain um, in terms of all the components that a lot of these systems are built with, um, and also policy regulation kind of compliance uh, elements as well. And essentially it's an attempt to bring together a number of those areas, but at a, a you know, under a, a kind of a systems view uh, where we don't necessarily delve deeper into a lot of individual components or particular techniques, we look at the assurance of the entire system. And in terms of uh, my group, which is a system security group, it's a team of people, very able people who essentially bring together expertise from electronics, from computer science, from um, automotive engineering and so on. We've um, um, kind of ha have had a sharp focus on uh, automotive systems as our key areas of focus for security and resilience um, and evaluation. Yeah, and like I said in the introduction, and like you're kind of saying that your work is at the, the 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 crossroads almost of a few different disciplines. So the approach is quite multidisciplinary. Is that fair to say? That's right. Um, certainly, there are very strong elements of uh, engineering uh, that we're going to work with, but there are also, um, as I mentioned, um, uh, elements of kind of assurance, the science of assurance and compliance, which is where we have to understand these systems, these very technical digital systems from a perspective of its their application, their use, also the evidence that we have um, in terms of how they behave. And that, exactly, and that could be um, a number of techniques and, and multidisciplinary techniques, techniques from human factors, techniques from economics uh, and so on to um, essentially get systems to a point where they meet real world 
um, kind of compliance needs and so on. Tell us about your background. What did you initially specialise in and trade in and how did you get to where you are now? So um, over, the, over the last 25 years, I've um, I, I've stayed in academia predominantly, uh, but done a lot of work with industry. I started off as a traditional computer scientist. Cyber, the word cyber wasn't really <laughs> in popular vocabulary when I started doing my PhD in, in what was cryptographic protocols and their analysis. Um, and then I had um, uh, the good fortune of working across a number of different uh, research teams where I was able to pull in different techniques and different kind of inspirations. In the last 10 years or so, we've had a very strong focus on the automotive and transport systems. And we've tracked their ev evolution very carefully in terms of the whole digitization that's happening. A lot of the kind of, you know, software intensity and the software um, kind of enabling of these systems. And of course, the need for cybersecurity was something um, that's uh, arisen. So just, just to share uh, this with you, um, when I started off, this was 2010 onwards, uh, I was talking to a lot of my senior colleagues and I said, these vehicles, they could be hacked once they have lots of digital components. And I was la laughed out of the room as, as much. And then lo and behold, you know, 10 years down the line, uh, it's a massive industry. There are global standards that are enforcing uh, the entire automotive industry and transport industry to make everyone's sure- ta Everyone's talking about it. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think we started off with that and then we grew a whole team uh, and here we are. And you've come to Swansea relatively recently. What, what brings you here? Swansea University has a very credible computer science department uh, with a very strong focus on software, uh, software engineering. Uh, they also have a very strong uh, HCI group um, and AI group. And once again, all those three areas um, converge when it comes to automotive kind of challenges as well. There is a very big semiconductor community here as well uh, that do, do research in power electronics and, and so on. And so uh, a lot of my work um, is increasingly now going into hardware assurance secure hardware and insurance. So so there are a number of these communities and um, I'd like to be right in the middle of a number of these communities and work across them. But of course, um, Swansea as such as a re region as well in terms of South Wales, uh, there's a big push on a lot of defense uh, technology kind of manufacturing. Mm. So uh, why not? Yeah, great. Now we've been talking a little bit so far about um, system security and, 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 and security threats. And obviously security threats uh, are are paramount in some people's minds, they worry about it. And you did mention about cars, et cetera, being, being hacked. But just in terms of real-world examples and real-life examples, if we think about small security threats or large security threats, what might we be talking about here? So it's just important to understand the kind of significant departure uh, in terms of threat and, and the risks, I should say, when it comes to cyber-physical systems. So the traditional um, kind of threats... The, what I call commodity threats, or all around the disruption around the computer on our, you know, on our desktops, uh, or our mobile phones, or the loss of data, or the loss of data across an enterprise, uh, and so on. Um, with cyber physical systems, there's a physical element, and that means these systems could have a physical implication. So we've seen over the last decade or so attacks on energy systems. We've seen them on rail systems. We've seen them on the automotive systems, of course, as well, and so on. And that means that that safety and physical safety-related implication is um, real. And that could lead to, um, you know, uh, it could lead to uh, damage to uh, people. 
it could lead to damage to infrastructure um, and cost, of course. So that's why this, the stakes are high now and uh, the risks are um, uh, ever so more um, kind of real. Mm. So focusing just on, on the car uh, example that you, that you gave a, a minute ago, what threats particularly are there specifically to the systems of, of modern cars? Okay, so um, almost uh, across the range, uh, um, all, uh, most modern vehicles now are connected in some shape and form, either through our mobile phone connectivity or direct connectivity for a number of different reasons and so on. For example, navigation and, and so on. And that connectivity, of course, could be exploited. And we've seen examples of it where it has been exploited. Uh, and then, of course, um, that could affect uh, the digital interaction, but it could also affect the, the control systems on the vehicles. So, which means that the acceleration, the braking systems, uh, you know, so the maneuvers. And we've seen some examples where um, this has been demonstrated uh, and what's happened? Uh, what's happened is we've seen examples where um, a vehicle right in the middle of the road, um, you know, was pulled over uh, and remotely controlled yeah. and manipulated. And, you know, uh, we've seen those demonstrations there. Now, um, have we seen any widespread um, attacks uh, on the wider public? Um, we haven't We haven't seen those. Uh, not on the record anyway. Uh, we've seen lots of demonstrations where research teams all over the world have taken different popular models and shown that, you know, we could do different things. We could disable the braking, for example, and so on. So um, uh, that, that of course, um, y you know, it's, I think um, uh, road safety is a huge issue, as it is, without mm. just cyber. Indeed. And... Um, I often, I often uh, mention this, you know, statistically speaking, we are more likely to be affected, you know, or die of a road accident than a, a plane crash. So people, uh, you know, it's, it's a perception issue. You know, when you're on a plane, you think, okay, well, yeah. <laughs> you get a safety demonstration. Yeah. You don't get a safety demonstration necessarily every time you sit in the car. No, I mean, you're in charge of this, this, this extremely heavy ball of... Or Structure of metal exactly. traveling very fast, and it's, it's you pretty much. In That's control. right, and and on single carriageways, if you think about it, you know the right beside the lane besides you, there's a car coming the opposite direction. So, so it doesn't take much. So, uh, so hence, I think uh, in the automotive industry, I, I I would say compared to a lot of other industries, the automotive industry is leading the way when it comes to standards, also when it comes to research. Um, and when it comes to a lot of techniques to make sure that they can assess these vehicles, test these vehicles and so on. And and you're saying that it's leading the way because almost it needs to because driving is dangerous and a lot of us do it and a lot of us don't do it very well, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think the understanding of road safety, of course, is quite mature. Mm. Um, you know, the industry has had nearly 100 years of looking at safety in different guises. Um, and that has meant that... Um, the security elements, relative, which is relatively recent, but still are being taken very seriously. And also the culture in the automotive industry, the engineering culture, uh, is driven by standards. So I think there's a, that's a good thing. So once they can agree on, on and have consensus on standards, then they can enforce it. And that's that's important. But it becomes a benchmark. And then, you know, you build over it. And the other thing, of course, it's quite visible and it's... If you think about it, it's one of the most complex consumer products 
that we have. So, you know, uh, aircraft, for example, aren't, uh, you know, as consumers, we can't buy aircraft, we can buy the, the travel on it. But the cars, we're all buying cars and electric vehicles, uh, you know, everything else. So they're not, they're not disappearing, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? They'll, they'll evolve into perhaps more software-defined vehicles and, you know, more electric vehicles and so on, but they'll still be there. And so, in a, as such, I, I think it's very important that, um, you know, we take this seriously. Again, just thinking real world, and anyway, for me, quite personally, I've just got rid of a of an old car. And obviously, I knew it had a computer chip in it and all this kind of stuff, but it but it felt very much like I was driving it. You know, it had everything seemed quite manual and quite like it, it was it was me in control. And the new car I've got, whilst it feels so much easier to drive and I probably feel safer in it, I, I recognise that it's very high, very high tech. And in terms of what you were, you were saying a minute ago, I mean, I had this image of my car will potentially sort of take over from me at one point if it is just for someone who maybe might not be in this field at all is is there is there a real danger that you know one day if the worst came to the worst your car might not behave as you wish it to behave so because of a lot of safety uh, work that's been done um the good thing is is that um that loss of controllability hopefully would not happen and <laughs> would not realize as a risk sure although although as i said there have there has been attacks that have been dem- that, that have demonstrated this but there is potential for a lot of other disruption in terms of in cabin systems uh damage in terms of a number of systems and features um you could imagine perhaps um you know a ransomware attacks where your car may be locked out and then it it becomes a a game where you know if you have to pay twenty quid to get your car back, maybe that's what you would resort to, and so on. That's what we that's what we see. You know the economics of ransomware attacks we see uh, in traditional kind of digital domains is exactly that. You know they they want to extract money out of you, and they want to not make it too high that you completely give up but low enough that you would say, I'll tell you what, sure. I want it back, so I'll just pay it off. So, you know, I I, I foresee a future where that's somewhere impossible. Yeah, moving from vehicles. old-fashioned stealing of hubcaps or, or whatever to, yeah, locking you out of your, that, of, absolutely. Of, of your car without you knowing. Absolutely. Knowing yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. What, what's your view on self-driving cars and automotive, uh, uh, autonomous vehicles and things like that? So I think we are over the hype for sure over the last couple of years, we've seen some very big companies taking a step back and saying, we're giving up on this. But uh, there are, in the UK at the minute, there are seven trials that are funded by the government that are once again getting this technology closer to commercialization and actual deployment. Um, I think there is definitely a use for it. The initial deployments may be low speed, maybe niche use cases, uh, you know, in controlled environments and so on. Um, but um, I, I think it's still some way before we actually see um, self-driving vehicles on the road. I should just add, uh, it's interesting because one of my earliest fascinations when I was young uh, was uh, a program called Night Rider. So <laughs> this was where David Hasselhoff had this very fancy car, <laughs> you know, which could speak to speak to him as well and drive itself. In a sense, uh, I think I, I don't. I don't think I, you know we should give up on that future. I think the point is, uh, you know, we've seen technology that has evolved in the last fifty, sixty years, mm-hmm. which was very, very, you know, um, well, seemed, seemed unconceivable. Very, seemed very futuristic. That's one, right. One but if you think about um, elevators. Mm. <laughs> if you think about it, I mean, elevators are completely autonomous in that sense. Well, they're guided, but still, you know, and quite safety critical. 
Sure. Uh, but they work in most places very well. So uh, you know they have a they have a quite an interesting history as well. So coming back to it, yeah, yes, I think I think um, we should we should expect a future where they will become real, but it will be some journey towards it. The other thing just to mention also is there are competing priorities at the minute um, in terms of electrification, particularly. So the whole net zero and um, battery-related electrification of vehicles, that I think has to take priority. And it's all a matter of where resource from the government and from the industry is diverted to achieve what goal first. Um, and yeah, so so I think um, it'll take some, take some time, but it's it's for real. Yeah, I can imagine if you if you put the human element into all of this, or maybe or maybe the the, the non human element into it, that the with self driving vehicles, you could probably convince people the technology made them safer, even. But only a few things have to go wrong, and people think, well, you know, I wasn't in control there. It wasn't it wasn't me, sort of the autonomous the autonomous kind of being controlling stuff. Is it, do you think there's a hurdle probably to cross in terms of convincing the public at large that these things are uh, are right? Yeah, absolutely. I think there will be a phase where that perception, that risk perception, but also that accepted public kind of acceptance, you know, that'll be tested. Um, but, um, I, you know, we've accepted so much technology. Uh, we, obviously, these days, the, the most topical thing is, you know, these AI language models, which are surprisingly scary. And I hear all kinds of commercial applications coming out of it. Uh, and so, uh, you know, people are quite accepting of it. Um, as an academic, I tell you, I'm not. I, I'm. I'm worried about the whole debate around the curriculum and assessment. <laughs> you oh, know, tell me about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, but you know, we can't ignore it. Mm. Um, so, I. I think we are risk averse uh, as a society early on, but we're also very adaptable. And um, we, you know, we've just gone through COVID as well, and. Once again, I mean, both the the way we went in and a lot of us shifted to digital for a lot of our uh, education, other services and so on. And also the way we came out of it, because I remember a lot of these doomsday scenarios and everything else when we were going into it. And this is the end of the world. And I was saying to my friends and colleagues at that point, I said, well, give it a year. And once you're all vaccinated, this will be a distant memory. And, you know, you and I are sitting here in the same room. In you know, person, pretty comfortable. In so. person, no masks. It's great. <laughs> exactly. And I guess we are adaptable. I mean, we, I carry around two computers with me. I have one in my pocket, one in my, my bag all the who time. Who would have thought I, a few years ago? Yeah. yeah, and I'm not, even, I'm not even techie. I want to talk about AI in, in a second, but just before we do, sticking on the vehicles for a second, the, the SAMS projects, is it, that, um, that, that, that Swansea is involved in? That's right. Tell us more about that. Okay. So um, I mentioned the seven uh, big trials uh, that the government has funded recently in the UK, um, and I should just mention, I need to I need to really applaud the, the government, and I think generally the industry here, because we are leading the way globally when it comes to regulation and policy, uh, when it comes to trials and testing, uh, when it comes to some of the niche OEMs who are pushing out this technology in all those three areas. I think there are very clear kind of, you know, developments and milestones that we've achieved. And these seven projects are meant to drive this technology all the way to commercialization. So uh, my group is involved in two of those seven trials, and we, for both of them, we are doing a system-level risk assessment. SAMS is essentially um, a autonomous mobility um, uh, sh a shuttle service up in Sunderland, in north of England, where it, there is a defined route 
um, where it's going to serve as an autonomous shuttle from different transport hubs and different public service points. And the whole project over two years um, has a has a very long trial period and, of course, an entire parallel study period and design period where we will evaluate and establish a safety case. We will do a very thorough cybersecurity risk assessment, um, and then we'll conduct trials. Uh, our other academic partners are looking at um, kind of public acceptance and trust elements. Um, and then there are a number of other uh, kind of commercial partners looking at the economic case, looking at um, the city council and the planning kind of elements of it as well and so on. And this, once again, as I said, this is, this is real. You know, um, we are being tested that by the end of the trial, we need to demonstrate that this could become commercial, not just technically viable and feasible, but also accepted by the public and commercially uh, kind of viable as a business case. So we are being tested against those criteria. And I, I'm really hopeful that, um, and that the project as well, both of them, they would, um, you know, take not just our research and understanding, but also overall uh, nationally, our kind of capability in this, you know, kind of area much further ahead. So yeah, interesting times ahead. Um, we are all um, hands on deck on this one. Uh, you know, it's a it's a massive commitment. Uh, I'm very excited. Talking of uh, the future and and interesting times ahead, uh, go back to AI, which I promised that that we would. I mean, cards on the table. I probably would be would have been a, a luddite back in the whenever it was the late eighteenth century and smashing up the hand looms and, and all that kind of stuff. But I. I, I see some real kind of worries with artificial intelligence. I, I also accept that there are obviously huge possibilities, but it seems to me quite a, a daunting thing that we're, we're we're facing. That almost kind of, I don't know, perhaps dehumanizes society. I, I would maybe even go that far. But what's your take on on it in general? So, as a computer scientist, but as also someone who's just interested in wider public discourse and the narrative, we have to separate these two out. As with many technologies, and as is the case with cybersecurity as well, I think the language and the narrative that we build around it matters a lot. Um, with cybersecurity, for example, if I just address that, it's it's often treated as a um, as a risk management uh, kind of an uh, exercise, which it is to some extent, but it's never seen as a value proposition. I think we should see it that way. When it comes to cars, for example, car companies would love to sell cars and say, this is a safer car. That becomes a value proposition to the consumer. I, I would like to see, and hopefully soon, we'll see a point where they can say, this is a more secure car. So the, the public narrative, I think, is very important. With AI, there is a lot of hype and um, a lot of excitement in that sense. But of course, there is that doom and gloom as well. And I think that's partly because we have perhaps mismanaged expectations um, uh, around what AI can deliver. As a computer scientist, okay, so when it comes to advisory applications, AI could be great. So it can advise us when it comes to certain um, uh, certain tasks which could which need um, uh, automating um, and with a little bit of kind of intelligence built into them, maybe it'll perhaps, you know, um, classifying certain images, for example, and so on, AI can be great. But beyond that, for safety-critical applications, um, for um, 
more uh, kind of contextual, uh, deeper analysis, we have some way to go. And I think most AI experts, I, I suspect, would agree. The language models, for example, we see these days are great in telling us, you know, in writing a whole essay. But, um, you know, if you go in and ask who won the last Football World Cup, it'll get all kinds of, you know, <laughs> false answers, right? So getting the facts right is, is very important as well. So my, my point here is that... Um, uh, technically, there's there is a definitely a journey, and I think the AI community sees that journey, um, but it, it somehow sometimes gets conflated with the narrative that's built around it, the popular narrative that's built around it. I guess go back to my my Luddites analogy in some ways. I think there's a there's a concern, isn't there, that it might end up taking away the the role of people to do stuff that actually it can do better, but which people and humans find fulfilling or gives them meaning to do. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you you brought this up, Sam, because. Um, I'm, I'm going to say this, and I think this is where I'm not an AI um, kind of expert at all. I'm a, I'm a student. I'm, I'm a keen student. Mm. But once again, uh, it's it's a technology that, you know, is obviously fast changing as well. A lot of early applications of AI are actually very, very good automation. So the difference here is automation really here is that there is a kind of a digitized, mechanized, process that's implemented for certain decisions. Uh, and we often confuse that with AI, right? So, so we are getting very good at, at um, uh, automation. If you walk into, talking about automotive, if you walk into any manufacturing uh, assembly plant for automotive, you would see all these robots. And they're very smart robots. Some of them may have AI, but, but largely they're just automated. And they're automated to a, to, a, to a degree where they would respond in certain unexpected situations because they're designed and configured to do so. But they're following a script, essentially. Now, if you then push on AI, so actual intelligence and that smart ability, uh, then yes, we, we definitely you know, uh, can add value. But beyond that, you know, seeing anything more beyond that, um, you know, I think there are certain examples, but it's it's still some way to go. The language models are definitely impressive. Mm. What we see with ChatGPT, for example. Well, it just it it, it composes symphonies or not 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 the chat whatever and it's write called, poems. But, and, yeah, and, and, <laughs> I mean, which I don't know. I I can. It'll be really interesting to listen back to this conversation in a couple of decades' time because yeah. I, I suspect there's going to be a. Uh, a, a, a a, a need, a sort of desire for non-AI created stuff. People will go and listen to a symphony or whatever that has been created and is played by humans, even if it's not as good as something that AI can do, because they, people want some sort of human interaction. I, I think that's a much more philosophical kind of yes, a discussion. It so, yes, it is. Because as, as society topic, but... becomes more advanced when it comes to some of these technologies, our values would shift. And what we would crave for in terms... Um, of um, that aesthetic value would definitely shift. That our sense of fashion, our sense of kind of taste around a number of these things would definitely change. We could do a whole podcast on it. Absolutely. However, I would love to. Yeah, well, <laughs> we might have you back. Um, 
I mentioned in the beginning Cyber Owl, which I assume, which, which conjures up an image of me of some very large mechanical bird that can turn its its, its head in a, in 360. But it's but it's obviously it's obviously not. Tell us more about Cyber Owl and, and what okay. it is. Okay, so there are uh, two narratives around it, and I want to share both if, if if I have time. Of course. So um, Cyber Owl uh, is a established commercial um, kind of um, uh, venture uh, that looks at. Um, uh, risk analytics and risk mon- cybersecurity risk monitoring on vessels, uh, on actual uh, kind of uh, maritime vessels and ships. Um, and it's deployed on a number of, um, quite a few uh, ships now all over the world. Um, we have um, essentially um, a big presence in East Asia and Singapore, um, growing presence in the Middle East and also a big presence in Europe. And there are other regions as well. And so this was a result, uh, so it was founded about seven years ago, seven or eight years ago. This was a result of my research over 10 years looking at risk analytics. So this was really the very early fundamental data science, the precursor to AI as such, um, and looking at how we can monitor for threats. And the focus there was early warning systems, how we can bring that warning of a potential threat early on. And so um, it's a patented technology, very credible in terms of the science that is built up, award-winning. And then the commercial journey is something that we spun out um, of my previous organization, previous university, um, and it's 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 um, established as a team in terms of a commercial team that leads it. Um, I'm much more hands-off now, uh, but I'm um, kind of you know as uh, a shareholder, of course, and uh, on the board, um, and input into the strategy for it, and so on. But yes, that's um, you know that's a, a success story that I'm quite proud of. Uh, I think a, a parallel narrative on this, just to say, is that once again, as an academic, I have always been right from day one very interested in translating the research into commercial policy and user kind of benefit, and um, amongst other uh, kind of you know efforts and interests, uh, CyberAll has been obviously a very key pillar. Uh, as a demonstrator uh, of that research and that translation. And the, the significance of the maritime elements specifically, as opposed to your work on cars? and So it's uh, two things. It's the timing of it. I think, um, um, you know, when when we were spinning out and looking at commercial applications, um, maritime was ripe at that time. Uh, the second thing is, of course, so my interest in cyber-physical systems, as, I, um, as I've said earlier, um, has been there for right from the start. So, um, the 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 kind of technology in terms of the analytics that I was working on was very suited to systems like those, and maritime, partly because of some of the regulation, partly because of the way the industry was, and partly because of some of the threats that are um, that have emerged over the years uh, in the industry, um, well, offered a very good commercial application. And of course, it's been tailored and further developed, you know, through its commercial phase, uh, where I've been much more hands-off uh, because it's built on the science, but then it's, it's evolved and become quite a sophisticated kind of an offering. Uh, that it just it just meant that um, we were well suited for that uh, sector right from the start by design, but then since then by evolution as well. Now you've you've touched upon this a couple of times, and if there's anything I've learned from doing these these podcast series is that big things like this, big research ideas like yours, tend to involve a lot of collaboration. You're working not just with people here, but with people in other universities, but also with, like you say, commercial enterprises, businesses, etc. So, I mean, your 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 work must feel very collaborative. 
Yes, absolutely. So I th- I can't be- think of a piece of research that, that I've done where I haven't pushed myself in terms of um, that interaction, either across sciences, across disciplines, or across other communities, or across, you know, that, that idea of me locking myself up in the lab, doing something, that's, that's not me, <laughs> right? Um, and that's partly because of the nature of the work that I've done, and Partly just because of my instinct, you know, uh, and so on. So yes, so I, I'm very. If I reflect back, I've always been driven by that need that I need to show value for the research that I do, and value in that very human value sense. That's partly because it's the validation that you get, uh, and partly because I also think that enterprise, commercial enterprise is inherently good for society. Money is a good driver for us. And if you align it well, uh, and then of course regulate it well, then it can deliver good. So, um, uh, you know, I, and I've, I've had competing views, you know, and conflicting views on this from my computer science kind of, you know, peers and, and colleagues, but a lot of them equally have spun out and, you know, done some great commercial kind of work as well. So, uh, yeah, that's that's been my thinking throughout. And again, I've touched upon this uh, a little bit already, but the, the nature of your work, you know, it, it does involve things like, you know, questions over privacy and safety and I guess data and financial risks and all this kind of stuff. And how much how much of your time do you feel like you are you're 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 fielding things that actually aren't related directly to your research but are maybe more political with a small P I suppose? That's right. So by and I, I mentioned compliance mm. and regulation very early on yeah. because that is absolutely key. Just by the nature of it, a lot of these engineering systems that we work with are regulated. And particularly in Britain, I think Having, I've I've had the you know kind of luxury and pleasure of working all over the world with colleagues all across, and our approach to uh, regulation, our approach and sensitivity to ethics of technology, uh, our um, consumer awareness elements, all those three or four things, um, I think in Britain makes um, the science and technology in these areas much more informed and much more responsible, but also very insightful and, and, and aware of a number of those kind of issues. So um, privacy, absolutely. You know, I think that human factor is very important. Um, I can't think of um, any technology or digital project where we're not factoring in the user. The economics of it as well. So we're increasingly, so for example, the last few years, we've definitely, as a country as well, but as a region, be, been more sensitive around sub- the supply chain so where are we getting our sourcing our components? How ethically governed those regions are? Um, what our sensitivity to that is? Um, how sustainable are they? Uh, and, and so on. And then also, of course, you know, the kind of in-life regulation. So once we've had this technology and once it's sold to a consumer, we don't forget about it. It's about how do we manage it all the way to even post-life even to the point where it's discarded. And I think that's that's very good. I, I, I am a big champion for good regulation. <laughs> so I think we need, and, and the more we engage, people like myself and others and so on, I think that could deliver the benefits. Uh, we're doing a podcast. Uh, you are no stranger to to podcasting, are you? Higher Purpose, is it? Is that the show that you That's right, that yes. You okay. <laughs> What's all that about? So, okay, this started pretty much while, uh, while I started at Swansea. Uh, 
uh, last year, mid last year, um, uh, I had uh, the pleasure of working with an Ofcom licensed community radio station in Birmingham called Unity FM. Uh, and they do a lot of uh, kind of community work, religious community work, but also kind of, you know, more uh, diverse. And we were talking about campus life um, uh, with the colleagues who were running it and they were looking for volunteers as well. And I said, I want to make campus life much more accessible, transparent, because campuses are, I've spent, well, 30 years of my life on campus as a student, as, as, as staff, and all over the world. I've had the pleasure of visiting campuses from South Africa to Japan to North America to Latin America. And I'm fascinated by campuses because they're so diverse. They're amazing, you know, uh, kind of, uh, it's, it's a great deal of life and ideas and emotions and, you know. And so I thought, you know, we need to, we need to make this more transparent. And Birmingham is remarkably diverse, of course. So Higher Purpose aims to look at uh, higher education journeys, uh, but from a very strong multi kind of um, ethnic diverse kind of, you know, a perspective. So making lives, a lot of people who come from all diverse uh, walks of life, uh, but also people who are, may not be diverse as such, may be part of mainstream society in, in all, you know, kind of, uh, you know, meanings of the way, uh, meanings, but, um, but are making, uh, you know, kind of interesting developments or initiatives around curriculum to make them more accessible and diverse and so on. So, um, yeah, we started last year. Uh, we've done over two dozen episodes now. Uh, it's broadcast on the radio, but it's uh, if you Google Higher Purpose on Spotify, it's there. Uh, and I'm really proud of it because I, I, I feel it's my cultural contribution, <laughs> right? So, um, yeah, I, I, as a computer scientist, I never thought I'm, 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 I'm going to do an actual podcast. We can work out the algorithms, but, uh, <laughs> but actually doing it, it's, uh, it's been a, a, a fascinating uh, experience. Uh, so far. Uh, are you normally in this seat or in that seat? Or, well, is, it, or, is, it more, or is it more of a discussion? It's, it's more of a discussion yeah, because sure. I'm sharing my uh, kind of stories as well. Yeah. I've had people come and cry uh, when they've talked about their journeys. I've had people um, come and talk about the great number of kind of, you know, um, kind of, you know, uh, the, the, you know the, the championed kind of, you know, initiatives that they've taken on. Um, uh, I've had lots of students uh, who've talked about their own experiences. You know, some of them, the very first in their families, generations to be a graduate. Uh, so it's all very enlightening. Uh, and uh, I've just, yeah, I'm just glad that I'm able to incite those ideas you know, in a conversation. That's always the challenge, right? Great. Now, people will be listening to us. They might be listening to your other podcasts as well, obviously, which is which is great. But it, potentially young people who are thinking this sounds like a, a an interesting, a cool, a a, a topical uh, area of research that they want to go into in the in the long run. So, what advice would you give a young person who maybe wants to do a degree in this kind of subject or even further study? Uh, so, uh, first of all, I would highly encourage people to look at this. Um, I think what people need to realize is as technology matures, and we've already touched on, you know, autonomous vehicles to AI to security, it will become more regulated, it'll become much more uh, kind of governed, but also um, industries will become, because of financial pressures and so on, uh, much more economically kind of cost-effective as well and so on. So, it needs brighter ideas, it needs that disruption, I think a lot of these industries are challenged, open to disruption and receptive to fresh ideas and so on. The other thing, of course, is a lot of these areas are become, becoming multidisciplinary. So uh, if you have a history degree, 
don't shy away. You can come in and inform. Be a luddite. <laughs> well, well no, uh, I said that. I said I'm that being, deliberately. I'm, of being, I'm, being, I'm being flippant. No, history gives you some very good analytical of skills. Of course, definitely. absolutely. From that to law to economics to mm. engineering, um, and I think um, uh, the other thing, of course, is that um, there are cycles that we see. So certain industries go up and down from different times. The automotive industry, for example, we've seen a decline in manufacturing, but there are, there are, you know, that decline means that there are a lot of people who are looking for that disruption or perhaps new ideas and so on. We're also a much more global world, although, you know, we wouldn't believe it in this country, but but we still are very well connected to colleagues in Europe, to North America and, and so on. And so we should definitely, you know, have that broader view and any piece of education or learning journey that anyone, you know, kind of starts on, starts off on, I would encourage them to, you know, travel, you know, talk to people uh, in other regions, talk to businesses in other regions. Um, you know, there are potentials for apprenticeships, placements these days as well. You know, definitely, absolutely expose yourself in that sense. Well, it's been a really uh, enlightening conversation, Siraj, and, and, and very interesting. So thank you. If you want to find out more about Siraj's research, you can visit his staff profile page on Swansea University's website, as well as cyberowl.io, and cyberowl is one word. To find out more about this podcast and Swansea University's research, visit swansea.ac.uk forward slash research. That's all from us today. Thanks for listening, and thank you again to my guest, Professor Siraj Sheikh. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow us. I'm Sam Blacksland, and that was Exploring Global Problems from Swansea University.